Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax. We hope you enjoy this sermon from a recent Sunday worship service. I am so glad to be here with you all this morning. This is my first time preaching in this space. Um, as my introduction went very nicely, I have been preaching as a lay minister for many years, and now uh, in seminary, I'm becoming progressively less lay. So <laughs> I'm glad to be here with you all. Um, anytime I'm in this space, I am very grateful that we ha I have ears that are willing to listen and bodies that show up. And um, I assume we got people on Zoom, right? Zooming in? Yep, we got people on Zoom. Thank you for being here. Um, it is a privilege. It is a privilege uh, to be in this space and to be here with you this morning. Now. Today, this, this sermon, I wrote this sermon as an auction item at my church in Reston last, it was offered up last year, and I, I gave it this summer for uh, one of our congregants who said, Kara, I just, I witness how we are in our UU circles in relationship with Christians and Christianity and my sister-in-law is just the kindest, warmest, most giving person, and she goes to Christian church every Sunday, and she loves Jesus, and she loves God, and I just would like to see something said about how we are as you use, and how we can be in relationship with Christians and Christianity. So this is something that is not easy necessarily to talk about. Um, many of us come from a Christian tradition, many of us don't, um, but there are hurts associated with many of us who have been at one point, or might have at some point, called ourselves Christians. So um, I appreciate being in this space with you to explore this rather sometimes muddy, um, complicated, nuanced topic. And I appreciate you being here this morning because you're cultivating something within yourselves that you can carry with you through the rest of the week. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of that. I've titled this sermon, Love Thy Neighbor, hinting in that good old King James version of the Bible, that language that has grown unappealing and haughty sounding especially to those of us who have pain associated with the church, and towards the belief that the book, the Bible, is the only book, and it is inerrant. This is a problem. This topic I'm exploring is nuanced, and I want to talk about, about a million things. I want to talk about the historical Jesus and Christology and systematic theology. I want to talk about liberation theology, um, but... I'm not going to talk about any of those things. <laughs> Which is good, because we could be here all day, and it's a good thing that I'm in formation, and I'll have plenty of opportunity to preach on these things in the future. But what we are going to talk about today is the kingdom of heaven and paradise and what that looks like and what it used to look like and how knowing a little bit more about it could help lead us into a place of peace. Uh, one thing I will talk about just right now a little bit is process theology, because that's, that's what I hold. 
To me, I see God as the movement towards love. I have heard of my old reverend, Reverend Scott Alexander, talk about the smell of pancakes. Smell something good. It motivates you to get up and go towards it with hope. It's that what we can move into and participate with to move ourselves towards love. This is what I hold. And this has been a very healing um, language for me to adopt, especially in my seminaries um, learning at Wesley with the Methodists. Um, learning in a progressive Christian community has been incredibly healing for this ex-Catholic. Not all of us, though, come from Christian beginnings, and not all of us who did were harmed by our Christian upbringing. I included today the Beatitudes, which Tom read so lovely, and um, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. There are also some great songs which speak to the beauty of a faith that we are no longer exactly a part of. Be Not Afraid is one I was raised with. Are there any ex-Catholics in the room here? Oh, raise them hands. Oh, yeah. yeah. The way that song goes, be not afraid. I go before you always. Come follow me and I will give you rest. That's a beautiful image. It brings peace to people. It's not something to be as shaken off as I used to do. And I lift these things up today in memory of a faith that I used to love. A faith that let me down so many times. A faith that claimed inerrancy and infallibility. A faith that claims Jesus was the Son of God and also God and one of three but only one. A faith which seemed to hate the fact that humans have bodies and we use them to experience this world. A faith which uses guilt and shame to control bodies, especially women's bodies. A faith that has fostered the belief that homosexuality was an abomination and led so many to believe that God didn't love them. My Catholic faith crumbled when I saw the harm that it caused. My soul was beaten, thinking that this was the one faith. That was all that was available. But my faith grew stronger when I learned about other traditions. And I, I found out how other faiths could be built in vastly different ways than the one faith, one baptism, one father of all. Whatever our personal relationships are to Christianity, our tradition, Unitarian Universalism, did come from Christian beginnings. We are a post-Christian movement. And it is evidential in our meeting here on Sunday mornings for worship with a liturgy or an order of service that looks a whole lot like a Protestant one, with the sermon being the focal point, um, this is all in line from our Christian upbringing or our Christian roots. We also have congregational polity, which is everyone here has a voice in how this church is run and how our bigger system is run. 
But that's not unique to us either. That came out of the Congregationalist churches in New England. We split not over polity, over theology. Our early Unitarian and Universalist leaders claimed a Christian faith, just one that included a critical reading of the biblical texts. Unitarianism was a rejection of the Trinity. And universalism is a rejection of hell. But we are so much more than what we have rejected. Especially now at this time when churches and faith traditions are waning in the cultural sphere. We must, we must be simply more than that which we have rejected. And I see this time as theologically very exciting. We are in this space as you use to be the space, the space, the place where the spiritual revolution will happen. I believe it. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm looking forward to it. We're in it now. And we're in a space theologically where we can really work to be more inclusive, how to be more inclusive with theology especially. And we could be thoughtful about the many different splendid ways in which people come to that movement towards love. Dr. Meg Richardson is my, was my professor of Unitarian Universalist history and polity at Star King Theological Seminary in um, California. And she said that most people think of our history as like a stream and it starts at one place and it flows down. But instead, she says, we're more like springs. And we've popped up wherever there were people reading the Bible closely. There is little biblical evidence to support the concept of the Trinity. And in fact, it is from tradition that these ideas emerge. More than 300 years after Jesus' death is when the Council of Nicaea met for the first time to decide on their first official meeting of church leaders, to decide upon what became known as the Nicene Creed. This arose out of a heated debate brought up by a man named Arius. Have we heard of Arius? Yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> the Arian controversy is kind of a root in our, our UU history. And Arius believed that Jesus was not begotten, that he was created by God. <laughs> he was excommunicated. His followers were sent out. Alexander, the, um, who was he? The bishop in Alexandria at the time, he condemned him and his followers and sent them out. And this debate was known as the Arian Controversy, and that's what brought about the, um, the need for this Nicene Council, and Constantine made it happen. Early Christians up to this point had been badly persecuted by the Roman Empire, and martyrdom was a key um, marker of faithful living because so many people were persecuted and killed 
for their beliefs. These early Christians were incredibly diverse in their understandings and practices. In fact, at this early stage, the time after Jesus' resurrection, but before the church, um, is known as the Jesus Movement. Um, according to Pablo Richard and Jesus, a Latin American perspective, um, this movement has only Paul's letters to work from. The Q source, which is a source that scholars agree must exist because so many of the Gospels draw from something that keeps them similar. Um, and the pre-synoptic traditions that have been forming. And maybe, maybe Mark's gospel, they had it, maybe. So they really were not working with a whole lot. They're just these little persecuted groups trying to make sense of what Jesus did when he was here, why he came. What is this they're trying to work out? And it was both a blessing and a curse that Christians were legitimized through the Emperor Constantine's leadership. He legalized the faith. He was Christian. His mother was Christian. And he kind of took on, you know, the God of the conquered son and the pagan traditions and beliefs and mixed it up with some of these ideas from Christianity. And he was like, oh, yeah, let's make Sunday the day that we all meet and let's all be good. But what that did was change so much of the meaning of these persecuted people and aligned them with royalty and empire and power, which kind of misses some of the big points that Jesus made while he was here and teaching. In a book called Saving Paradise, Rita Nakashima Brock and Rebecca Ann Parker write about their discovery that the fact of the fact that there were no artistic renderings of Jesus on the cross or his beaten and broken body until around the 11th century. Up until that point, the emphasis of the Christian faith was on paradise and not paradise promised after death which is also not very well supported in the Bible anywhere. But paradise on earth, the kingdom of heaven, which Christ brought and towards which we must work. Reverend Mike Johnson wrote about the early Christians saying, the Christian community was meant to be the living embodiment of the resurrection paradise in the midst of a world controlled by the harsh realities of the Roman Empire, they came together to celebrate a new earth imbued with beauty and grace of divine blessing. They were an oasis of care and connection. Their vision of radical equality undermined traditional social status, and they operated vast social welfare programs that offered livable options for the poor and the enslaved. When someone became a Christian, they dedicated all of their material belongings to the community. Christians were not allowed to kill or become soldiers in the army. 
They were striving for life in paradise. As Unitarian Universalists, the kingdom of God, or paradise, is better defined in under our, for our understandings by our current sixth principle, which is the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. We may be more in line with early Christians than today's Christians are, although, thank goodness, we are not persecuted for our beliefs. Many of today's Christians are obsessed over the idea of eternal life. Groups like Jehovah's Witnesses focus much of their faith around the impending apocalypse as described in the book of Revelations. Our faith calls us to live in this world and to work towards paradise on earth. As I said before, learning in seminary with progressive Christians has been incredibly healing for me. I thought I would have to fight against teachings that the myths of Genesis um, and the Old Testament were true stories, and I didn't have to do that. I thought I would be taught the inerrancy of the Bible, but instead I was taught the process of exegeting the texts, which makes us analyze the text from a socio-political, historical perspective and understand the climate under which it was written. The genre, it reflects the traditions and idioms which no longer exist and need to be researched to understood. Thank you, education. <laughs> what I have learned is that there is a vast diversity of belief within Christianity, just as there is a vast diversity of belief within this room and within our greater tradition. I thought that all Christians had to believe the same. I was raised to believe this. One faith, one baptism, one father for all. But it's just not true. I thought all Christians hated homosexuality. And I have found that, thank God, to be an utter untruth. The passion I have witnessed towards inclusion of those in the LGBTQIA community has been nothing short of a miracle from my colleagues and professors at Wesley Theological Seminary. I no longer call myself a recovering Catholic. I am recovered. Healed and saved by this UU faith and by the witness of so many Christians who love others and God the way that I do, with a critical eye and an open heart. I say all this today because we have such a tendency in this beautiful faith of ours to throw shade at Christians and Christianity. And while there is plenty with which I disagree, even with the progressive Christians, I cannot claim my faith without seeing the beauty of theirs. I cannot use blanket statements about Christians anymore because while there are those who are so vile, and yes, vile, there are so many more who are loving and open and trying to live into Jesus's commandment 
to love our neighbors as ourselves. Christianity is Unitarian Universalism's patriarchal, dominant, empire-like, colonizer father. But Christians are our siblings. Our apparent daddy issues need healing for the hope of living into and co-creating paradise with the movement towards love. I beseech you to seek a place of recovery if you are in pain towards our Christian roots and to love our Christian siblings with the same love we claim for all people. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax. To listen to more UUCF sermons, open your favorite podcast app and search UU Fairfax Sermons. UU Fairfax is one word. Thank you.